This podcast was produced on Thursday, February 28th at 3.52 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. For a period of approximately four months between September and December of 2018, I experienced a consistent and sustained effort by many people within the government to seek to politically interfere in the exercise of prosecutorial discretion in my role as the Attorney General of Canada in an inappropriate effort to secure a deferred prosecution agreement with SNC-Lavalin. Jody Wilson-Raybould finally spoke her truth this week and dropped a political bombshell. The former attorney general made a much-anticipated appearance at a Commons Justice Committee to give her side of the SNC-Lavalin controversy. For more than three hours, Wilson-Raybould named names of people who she felt pressured her to take it easy on the Quebec construction and engineering giant, mostly driven by partisan considerations, she said. I spoke to Minister Morneau on this matter when we were in the House. He again stressed the need to save jobs. And I told him that um, engagements from his office to mine on SNC had to stop, that they were inappropriate. They did not stop. Stitching together her notes and text message exchanges, Wilson-Raybould offered a detailed timeline, which blew the socks off some of the committee members. I, I've, I've been a lawyer for over 40 years. I've taught a generation of law students about the rule of law. And what I've heard today should make all Canadians extremely upset. Opposition leaders pounced. Justin Trudeau simply cannot continue to govern this country now that Canadians know what he has done. And that is why I am calling on Mr. Trudeau to do the right thing and to resign. What we heard today is is explosive. It is incredibly uh, damaging. The only way to get to the bottom of this is a public inquiry that would have independence to assess the truth. For now, the action remains at the Justice Committee, where Gerald Butts is set to hit the stage. The Prime Minister's Principal Secretary surprised everyone with his resignation two weeks ago, stepping down from his job but saying he did nothing wrong. There is still one key player, though, Now we want to hear from the Prime Minister, the man who stands accused of major political interference in a criminal case. Liberal MPs voted down a motion to have Trudeau testify this week. In his public comments, the Prime Minister is doubling down, insisting there is really nothing to see here. I strongly maintain, as I have from the beginning, that I and my staff always acted appropriately and professionally. I therefore completely disagree with the former Attorney General's characterization of events. Oh boy, what a week it has been. It feels like NDP leader Jagmeet Singh's by-election win in Burnaby South happened eons ago, and that was just this week too. I'm Althea Raj, and this is Follow Up, a HuffPost Canada politics podcast. On today's show, we dig through the gobsmacking details of Jody Wilson-Raybould's testimony with HuffPost Canada's senior politics editor, Ryan Maloney. And then we'll sit down with Nathan Cullen for a health check of sorts on the NDP now that his leader finally has a seat in the House of Commons. Stick around. 
So that oath that you took today, that oath that you took on January 14th, reaffirmed your confidence in the government. Do you have confidence in the prime minister today? I'll say this, and I'm not going to get into any conversations about why I resigned. I resigned, other than to say this, I resigned from cabinet because I did not have confidence to sit around the table, the cabinet table. That's why I resigned. Well, that was a pretty stunning moment during Jody Wilson-Raybould's testimony, the former Attorney General of Canada, testifying in front of the Justice Committee on Wednesday. Ryan Maloney, HuffPost Canada's senior politics editor, joins me now on the line. Hi, Ryan. Hi, Althea. How are you? I'm good. You? Very good. Busy. Tired. Well, obviously, we're doing a lot better, I think, than the prime minister. Um, (laughs) I wanted to start off by chatting about that moment, and it wasn't the only moment uh, like it, but she let this moment hang out there for a bit. Yeah. She didn't take the opportunity when it was given to her later on in the testimony to actually acknowledge that she did have confidence in the prime minister. Do you still have confidence in the prime minister today? I'm not sure how that question is relevant. What are we to make of her statement or lack thereof? Yeah, so that was, for me, that was probably one of the, as you said, st- most stunning moments, The one of the wilder moments. Uh, it goes without saying probably that a, a sitting liberal MP should be able to enthusiastically affirm they have confidence in the party leader and the prime minister. Uh, her answer, that lengthy, lengthy pause, uh, and what appeared to be a pretty acrimonious moment between two sitting liberal MPs there, further confirmed to me that uh, Jody Wilson-Raybould, I, I don't see how she can stay part of this liberal caucus for much longer. But the big question now is exactly, you know, how does she how does she exit? She suggested already that she's not going to quit caucus. I am um, proud to be the member of parliament for Vancouver Granville. I was elected as a liberal member of parliament and that hasn't changed. That was interpreted as almost a kind of dare for Trudeau to actually give her the boot. Prime Minister said Thursday he's still thinking about what to do with her. Uh, I have uh, I have uh, taken uh, taken knowledge of uh, of her testimony, and there's still uh, reflections to have on uh, next steps. Uh, but there's no question that this testimony has badly damaged the government and the prime minister. And I basically can't fathom how she stays part of this party and just carries on business as usual. Okay, I want to run through some of the key moments in Jody Wilson-Raybould's testimony on Wednesday. What were the key moments for you? So there were a lot, but the first the first for me was that uh, when she shared details of that September 17th meeting that she had with the prime minister, uh, where she says that Trudeau raised the issue of SNC-Lavalin and deferred prosecution agreements right away. Uh, she said that the clerk of the Privy Council, Michael Wernick, was also there. She said that Trudeau asked her to help out to find a solution. He referenced possible job losses if SNC-Lavalin could not score that kind of deal. Uh, Wilson-Raybould said that she told him that her mind was made up on the issue. Uh, And then Wilson-Raybould said that Trudeau referenced the provincial election in Quebec and that he is a MP for the Quebec riding of Papineau, which would amount to political considerations. The prime minister asked me to help out to find a solution here for SNC, citing that if there is no DPA, there would be many jobs lost and that SNC would move from Montreal. 
In response, I explained to him the law and what I have the ability to do and not do under the Director of Public Prosecutions Act around issuing directives or assuming conduct of prosecutions. I told him that I had done my due diligence and had made up my mind on SNC and that I was not going to interfere with the decision of the, of the director. The Prime Minister again cited the potential loss of jobs and SNC moving. Then, to my surprise, the clerk stated or started to make the case for the need for a DPA. He said, quote, there is a board meeting on Thursday, September the 20th, with stockholders, end quote. Quote again, they will likely be moving to London if this happens, and there is an election in Quebec soon, end quote. At that point, the Prime Minister jumped in, stressing that there is an election in Quebec, and that, quote, I am an MP in Quebec, the member for Papineau, end quote. This is also the meeting where she says she asked him if he was going to interfere politically in her role. I was quite taken aback. My response, and I vividly remember this as well, was to ask the Prime Minister a direct question while looking him in the eye. I asked, quote, are you politically interfering with my role, my decision as the Attorney General? I would strongly advise against it, end quote. The Prime Minister said, no, 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 we just need to find a solution. And it's worth remembering that Trudeau later said that at that meeting, Wilson-Raybould affirmed for him that he said that that decision would be hers alone. And that uh, statement from Trudeau came hours before she resigned from cabinet. I have uh, met with Minister Wilson-Raybould uh, a couple of times uh, already since uh, arriving in BC yesterday. We spoke about our shared goals for our country and for this government. She confirmed for me a conversation we had this fall where I told her directly that any decisions on matters uh, involving the Director of Public Prosecutions uh, were hers alone. In our system of government, of course, uh, her presence in Cabinet uh, should actually speak for itself. So Trudeau has said that conversations about this issue were focused on the possible job losses and that it's totally appropriate for, for him to be considering that, for the government to consider that. Uh, but the notion that there were political calculations at play here is very significant. Yeah, and that's actually what Jody Wilson-Raybould said herself. She didn't think it was inappropriate for the prime minister to raise the issue of job losses with her, but she felt that the weeks and months of pressure, in her words, being hounded on this issue, were really what was inappropriate. And what was also inappropriate was all the talk of partisan consideration. I will say that it is appropriate for cabinet or colleagues to draw to the attorney general's attention what they see as important policy considerations that are relevant to decisions about how a prosecution will proceed. What is not appropriate is pressing the Attorney General on matters that she or he cannot take into account, such as partisan political considerations, continuing to urge the Attorney General to take her or his mind four months after the decision has been made, or suggesting that a collision with the Prime Minister on these matters should be avoided. She then walked us through basically a chronology of the different points at which pressure was either applied on herself or on her chief of staff. Um, and it's clear from her own description that they 
at least the people in the prime minister's office and the people in the finance minister's office really wanted to find a way to get Jody Wilson-Raybould to say yes to directing the public prosecution's office to have a DPA for SNC-Levene. This would become a recurring theme for some time in messages from the PMO that an external review should be done of the DPP's decision. Mathieu said that if, six months from the election, SNC announces they're moving their headquarters out of Canada, that is bad. He said, quote, we, have, we can have the best policy in the world, but we need to get reelected, end quote. I thought it was interesting how they were suggesting that they could find an external review, um, somebody who would basically say, oh, what the government is doing is great, or appoint an eminent person to advise her that she could say she just took this person's advice, basically taking uh, ownership from the decision away from her. Mathieu and Elder continue to plead their case, talking about if I'm not sure in my decision that we could hire an eminent person to advise me. They were kicking the tires. I said no. My mind had been made up and they needed to stop. This was enough. In my view, the communications and efforts to change my mind on this matter should have stopped. Various officials also urged me to take partisan political considerations into account, which it was clearly improper for me to do so. One of the key meetings, though, that she spoke about was a phone conversation that occurred on December 19th. This is something we first heard about from Michael Warnick, the clerk of the Privy Council, last week. Um, What stood out for you in that conversation, Ryan? Yeah, so she shared details of that phone conversation with uh, Warnick on December 19th after several weeks of sustained pressure, as she, as she put it, on this issue. Uh, she said Warnick referenced the prime minister's name a bunch, uh, how Trudeau is going to find a way to get a deferred prosecution one way or another. He said that the prime minister wants to be able to say that he has tried everything he can within the legitimate toolbox. The clerk said that the prime minister is quite determined. Quite firm, but he wants to know why the DPA route, which Parliament provided for, isn't being used. He said, quote, I think he is going to find a way to get it done, one way or another. She said the clerk was worried about the Prime Minister and the Attorney General being at loggerheads, uh, that he was worried about a collision between them. Wilson-Raybould said that this sort of chat uh, was full of veiled threats about her role. And I remember distinctly ending that conversation with the clerk by saying, I am waiting for the other shoe to drop. And she even referenced the infamous Saturday Night Massacre, uh, which, of course, is when former U.S. President Richard Nixon directed his attorney general to fire the special prosecutor investigating Watergate. I told the clerk that I was giving him my best advice and that if he did not accept that advice, then it is the prime minister's prerogative to do what he wants. The clerk acknowledged that, but said that the prime minister does not have the power to do what he wants. All the tools are in my hands, he said. I said that I was having thoughts of the Saturday night massacre. That word, those words, uh, Saturday night massacre, stand out to people of a certain age, and uh, that's very deliberate in my mind. Um, mm-hmm. Having said that to the clerk, obviously, was having um, thoughts about 
um, what was happening, um, the potential for direct direction. Is that right? The potential for direction coming to me from the prime minister and my having to consider resigning. And of course, by early January, Wilson-Raybould was sent to Veteran Affairs, which she linked to her refusal to give in on this issue, uh, to give SNC-Lavalin this deal. And she testified that she tr- she told Trudeau as much uh, when he called her to tell her that she was being moved from her powerful role. I had a conversation with the Prime Minister on January the 7th, and he um, spoke to me about my being shuffled out as Minister of Justice and Attorney General, provided rationale of which I won't get into. Um, and then I said to him, I can't help but think that this has something to do with a decision I would not take. I had a subsequent very um, close in time conversation with Jerry Butts, where I specifically said, um, I know this has to do with SNC and a decision that I wouldn't take. To which he said, are you questioning the integrity of the prime minister? To which I didn't say anything. She says she took them at their word, um, and that's one of the reasons why she accepted a new cabinet position as Minister of Veterans Affairs. I decided that I would take the prime minister at his word. I trusted him. I had confidence in him. And so I decided to continue on around the cabinet table with the concerns that I had around SNC because I took the prime minister at his word. Did that argument hold any water for the Liberal MPs at the committee? Uh, No, because they really stuck to that uh, line of questioning. They kept asking her repeatedly why it is that she did not resign as attorney general if she felt that pressure. That's a question that I think uh, we've all been wondering. She basically said that she felt like she was doing her job, that she was protecting prosecutorial independence. So why would she resign? She also said that, you know, she accepted that Veterans Affairs job because she wanted to be at the cabinet table to continue to relay her concerns about this SNC-Lavalin issue. And she also said that, you know, she was honored to be asked to serve as as Veterans Affairs, even though she uh, clearly saw it as a kind of punishment or demotion. I had serious concerns, as I said, that if I was no longer the attorney general, that there would be a deferred prosecution agreement entered into and that it would be posted in the Gazette. As I said, I would have resigned from cabinet at that time. One thing that struck me, it was about more than an hour into her testimony, was she said that what she thought the government was doing, what the people in the prime minister's office, what people in Minister Morneau's office were doing, was not illegal, but that she felt it was inappropriate. Is it illegal for someone to pressure the attorney general to offer a special plea like this for political reasons? Is it illegal for someone just to pressure the attorney general to intervene on a case? In my opinion, it's not illegal. Mm-hmm. Um, it is very inappropriate mm-hmm. depending on the context of the comments made, the nature of the pressure, um, the specific issues that are raised. Right. It's incredibly in- inappropriate and is an attempt to compromise or to impose upon an independent um, attorney general. What did you make of that? Well, I thought it was a significant uh, statement from her. I think she said it twice. Um, Of course, the Conservatives are now calling for the RCMP to investigate this. They want Trudeau to step down. So her opinion that what happened here 
did not cross into illegality but was inappropriate is going to be something that liberals can perhaps uh, turn to and point to in the, the weeks and months to come. At the same time, though, she did, using text messages between herself and her chief of staff, um, describe how she felt that Katie Telford, the prime minister's chief of staff, and Gerald Butts, uh, the prime minister's former principal secretary, principal secretary at the time, um, were suggesting that what they were doing was interference. Um, This is part of the text message that she read in committee. Basically, they want a solution, nothing new. They want external counsel retained to give you an opinion on whether you can review the DPP's decision here and whether you should in this case. I told them that would be interference. Jerry said, quote, Jess, there is no solution here that does not involve some interference, end quote. At least they are finally being honest about what they are asking you to do. So, Ryan, how badly does this hurt the Liberals? Well, I think it's perhaps a little too early to tell exactly, but it's fair to say that this has the potential to be massively damaging and cost them government. Um, The Liberals came to power in 2015 promising to do politics differently, to be open and transparent, um, to have high standards of ethics. Um, This casts uh, doubt on that. But there is room here for the Liberals to say, hey, we were focused this whole time on jobs, on the potential for job losses. That's obviously the strategy that they're now uh, deploying. Uh, They're downplaying, of course, the idea of political calculations. But they'll say it is entirely appropriate for a government to be concerned about the loss of jobs and to try to prevent that. Looking back over what has transpired this week, should the Prime Minister have allowed her to speak? (laughs) Well, I'm sure he's going to be wondering that himself uh, in the in the in the days to come. But um, I almost got the sense watching it, and I watched almost four hours of the testimony that liberals on the committee were not prepared for the way things turned out. I don't think that they were prepared for the damage that uh, Wilson Rabel's testimony was going to was going to do to their government. So I, I almost got the sense, and I don't want to be unkind to the liberals on the committee, but it it just didn't feel like they were aggressive enough, especially in the beginning. Um, the conservatives sent in their deputy leader, Lisa Raid, a lawyer, a former cabinet minister. Uh, she isn't even on the committee, and she was basically leading their charge. The NDP had Murray Rankin, a former law prof, a veteran MP. And it just felt to me like the liberals there didn't know how to respond to what Wilson Rabel was doing, probably because she is a liberal uh, herself. But she was uh, dropping bombs on their government, and it took them a very long time to start getting a bit more aggressive with her uh, in, in response. Okay, so what's the end game here? Um, there's a lot of unanswered questions. We still don't know why she quit, though she says she cannot tell us. Um, the Justice Committee, obviously a lot more pressure on them to hear witnesses. Gerald Butts uh, put on Twitter on Thursday that he's asked the chair of the Justice Committee to come and testify. Where do things go from here? Well, that's a very good question. But one thing we know for sure is that it's not going to go away. As you said, there's pressure on the committee now to call more witnesses. We heard more names that perhaps we hadn't heard before. Uh, The Conservatives and the NDP are not going to let up on this. The Prime Minister and top PMO officials repeatedly allowed political considerations to trump the rule of law. Job one of this Prime Minister is to be more ethical than Richard Nixon. And it seems like we will be talking about this for months to come. Quite the interesting turn of events for Justin Trudeau, just seven months shy of an election. What a terrible shuffle, eh? (laughs) 
It's all Scott Bryson's fault. <laughs> oh, God. Okay. Thanks, Ryan. I appreciate it. Bye, Althea. Thank you for having me. Ryan Maloney is HuffPost Canada's senior politics editor. I was taught to always be careful what you say because you cannot take it back. I was taught to always hold true to your core values and principles and to act with integrity. These are the teachings of my parents, my grandparents, and my community. I come from a long line of matriarchs, and I am a truth teller in accordance with the laws and traditions of our big house. This is who I am, and this is who I always will be. Marie-Claude Bibot, MP for Compton Stansted. And I'm Carla Qualtro, MP for Delta and Minister of Public Services and Procurement. Do you think that Jody Wilson-Raybould uh, has a place in caucus? I think she has her conviction. We have ours. We're ve uh, working very hard uh, to uh, pursue our commitment in different ways uh, for the environment, for the reconciliation with the Indigenous people. Uh, our fight against poverty and I'm sure you've seen the statistic yesterday that we our plan is working and that we brought eight more than 8,000 people out of poverty so I think 800, this is 800,000 yes, yes. people so uh, I think we're doing a good job and we're working very hard on these very important parts I couldn't have said it better we um, we want everyone to know that the Prime Minister has our absolute confidence and uh, we hope Canadians will see that we're every day working hard for them. I never raised this issue with Jody Wilson-Raybould. Uh, my staff, uh, appropriately, um, would make her staff aware of the economic consequences of decisions about the importance of thinking about jobs. I was glad that um, after Ms. Wilson-Raybould resigned from Cabinet that she chose to stay in caucus. Um, caucus is a very broad church. Lots of people have different views. Having those different views helps us make good decisions. But the key thing is, and this is how I approach it, in the caucus room, in the cabinet room, in the prime minister's office, we often disagree robustly. I am sometimes one of the people disagreeing, uh, including sometimes with the prime minister. But at the end of the day, I feel the prime minister, as the prime minister, gets the last word. And at the end of the day, when you leave the room, you have to play as a united team. is in the fight of his political career. His leadership of the NDP is on the line and Burnaby South is his only hope. Traditionally, it is a very strong or moderately strong NDP writing. Polls aren't everything, but the latest numbers show the NDP in the low teens. Privately, the NDP have constructed a plan B if he loses. 
One possible scenario, MPs choose an interim leader from within. Uh, CBC News is uh, ready to project that Jagmeet Singh will be the winner in the by-election in Burnaby South. Friends, we made history today. We made history today. You know, when I was growing up as a kid, when I was growing up, I could have never imagined someone like me ever running to be prime minister. Well, guess what? Well, guess what? We just told a lot of kids out there that yes, you can. Yes, you can. NDP leader Jagmeet Singh now has a seat in the House of Commons, 16 months after becoming the party leader and eight months before the general election. Under Singh's leadership, NDP fortunes have plummeted. The party is spending more money than it is raising, and so far, 13 MPs, more than a quarter of the caucus, have declared they won't run again. This week, Victoria MP Murray Rankin announced he's saying goodbye. And now, veteran MP Nathan Cullen is also headed for the exit. I sat down with Cullen on Thursday before he went public with his decision. Heads up, the audio isn't great. My recorder malfunctioned. Yes, the equivalent of the dog ate my homework. But our conversation is a good one. Are you not worried that if you leave, mm. you are helping fuel that narrative that the NDP is in trouble? I really hope that the Liberals are in trouble right now. <laughs> not to be crass about it. Uh, and I don't know if the Conservatives have found their offer yet either. I'm not sure when I look at Sheer if he's totally defined in people's minds or I know exactly what he wants to be as Prime Minister. Look, most people stink at the job for a good long while once they get leadership. I can't think of a leader I've seen from any party who won the leadership and right away you said, man, they've got their feet, like they know exactly who they are. I think it takes work and failure and trial and all of those things. So your question is, uh, does it build on the narrative? I think that was a fairly strong narrative for the last year, I think Burnaby does help for sure. I think how Jagmeet does in the House is going to matter a lot. Um, every politician I've ever met thinks they're really essential to every conversation, and I've tried to avoid that uh, particular perspective. I want to ask you where you think the party is. You kind of touched a mm -hmm. bit upon it in terms of the offering not being complete, but mm -hmm. You've seen a number of different NDP leaders, and you've seen the party shift direction and focus, mm -hmm. I think, in that period of time. Mm -hmm. what, what does the NDP stand for now? Well, what the party stands for is always a combination of the party itself and the characteristics of a leader, in my mind. The party looked a certain way under Jack. It looked a certain way under uh, Tom. Um, how it will look under Jagmeet. I think what I was thinking about him yesterday was his p potential to grow is significant and people he can talk to in a different way is significant. And this is, I don't know if you've noticed, but it's a really male white institution up here. <laughs> and has these. Yes, maybe. Have you noticed? Have you noticed? I've noticed it too, even as a white male. And the biases and prejudices that go into our thinking around politics in general carry that with us. That we are blind to what does it mean for racialized Canadians to see the first non-white leader of a federal party? Does it mean anything? Do people say, ah, uh, that reflection 
is important to me, I'm now leaning in and I'm interested. All I, what I'd say with Jagmeet is it's nothing but opportunity right now. Not And not just because, um, not only because of Trudeau's current state that I think what's unfolding right now in front of us, we don't know where mm-hmm. it's going to actually end up, but it's not good for a government's uh, image or the promise they made to Canadians, which was a big promise to be different and be better and be ethical. This, this story is going to hurt hurt also people's faith in politics in general, but um, I think it's nothing but opportunity for him. And I think the confidence that I saw him with just even in a couple of days since Burnaby, like he just seems better, he seems solid. He had a string of self-inflicted, outside circumstance, bad moments in the last year. Um, tough things to deal with, not easy, and not easy for a new leader. So I was feeling for the guy, man. It was like he just couldn't catch a break. He couldn't get a good headline. And he's had a couple of good headlines. And he's... He's a naturally effervescent guy. He's naturally positive. And even with this cloud, maybe in particular because of this cloud of scandal, this cynicism that's brewing around these stories, somebody coming in who's actually quite positive might be a real contrast, which I think is what politics is about. We ran, One of the mistakes we ran in the last campaign is we just didn't contrast with the government, enough, which sounds strange, thinking a Stephen Harper conservative government would have been really easy for us to contrast, but we, we tacked a bit to the middle and wanted to reassure people and didn't excite them enough and they were people were ready for something different my my belief coming in this place is that the the, the minute it's over you, the People returning your phone calls or your profile or everything is gone, and so don't get attached to it. Don't make it part of you because I'm in a role right now, that's all. And when I step out of the role, it will be different, and someone else will step in. Okay, so that suggests to me that you think that he will be fine, Jimmy Singh will be fine, and he will be fine without you. Yes, but does it not fuel the narrative like you already have? 11 MPs, mm-hmm. I think, who've decided not to run again. Mm-hmm. It's a quarter of the caucus. Mm-hmm. There are plenty of stories about the NDP's fundraising problems, sure. the fact that real. they're spending more money than they're taking in. Mm-hmm. Nathan Cullen, one of the most visible, highest profile members, decides I'm not mm-hmm. offering again in 2019. Yeah, the, the first part of that scenario, that narrative, is challenging because if I look through that list of people not presenting again, mm-hmm. the Lavardieres and Ernie Mathesons and Dave Christophersons, they weren't running again. Like it's just, it's not because of Joe Mead, it's not because of where the party is, it's just straight circumstance. It does preoccupy me, I want to do no harm to the progressive cause, to the party or to Joe Mead's leadership, yet I have to always uh, remember my other responsibilities, which is to my family and my life. I, I think it was, we get these little, these, there's, someone should, no, no, we should never film them because they're important that they're somewhat private. At the beginning of every parliamentary session, they get the rookies, all the new MPs in the house, and they have three or four experienced MPs at the front for each party and give a little, this is what I know, here's some things to look out for. And in my, my rookie year, I think that one of the presenters was Stockwell Day, and he said, something to the effect of, you got a lot of staff, got a lot of people helping you. There's nobody's responsibility except yours to keep your family together and to keep your health. That is not your staff's job, it's not the party, it's not the leader, that's your job. You come in with whatever family and friends you have to politics. Make sure you leave with them. 
And I thought, that's really good advice. <laughs> that's sound. That's very human uh, advice. And so that's always preoccupied me that, um, you know, when you, the, it is, it's a 30 hour commute for me to get back and forth. And it has but your been, kids live here. No, yeah. Yet I represent a riding that's a third of the province of British Columbia. It's a little bit um, bigger than Poland. And I use seven or eight different airports to get into my riding. It's really significant. But I can remember Jack only got angry with me once, like proper anger. And we were just walking somewhere and I just complained about my commute because I was so tired. And he got mad. And he's like, I don't remember anyone putting a gun to your head. And I was like, well, Jack, I was just, just tired, man. I, you know, did a 20 hour day yesterday and that was after a week of 20 hour days. And he's like, look, this is, don't ever complain about it. You signed up for it. You asked for this. It's an honor to do it. I'm like, I know, I know, I know, I know. Okay. I'm one of the complaining about again, Jeff. It is not something you just easily walk away from. It's not. Nathan Cullen is the MP for Skeena Bulkley Valley. a lot of current and former NDP MPs are hoping that Singh's presence in the chamber changes the party's fortunes. It's been a rocky time since becoming leader in 2017, refusing to denounce Sikh terrorism, kicking out a Saskatchewan MP from caucus for questionable reasons, not knowing party policy. He hasn't made an impact quite the way New Democrats hoped he would. So can Singh now recast himself? Ed Broadbent, the former leader of the NDP. And may I ask you, uh, what do you think Mr. Singh's win will mean for the party? Oh, he, he brings youth, he, uh, he brings vigor, he's the first uh, racialized Canadian to be the leader of a party, so there's diversity. Um, and I would put down particularly his enthusiasm and, and energy, which he demonstrated in this, for us, wonderful by-election win in, in uh, Burnaby South. So there'll be a big, I think, turnaround in the fortunes in the party now, now that he's in the House of Commons. My name's Sherry Benson, and I am the NDP MP for Saskatoon West. And what do you think Mr. Singh's presence in the House will mean for the party in this upcoming election year? Oh, I think it's very uh, exciting. It's important uh, for him to be in the House, as he said here today, so he can fight uh, to be on people's side. Um, I think for us uh, as a team, we've been anxiously waiting. We knew he would come to the House. So I'm really, really looking forward to uh, him being in the House and taking the fight to the, to the floor, so to speak. Uh, my name is Alexandre Modris, Member of Parliament from Rosemont La Petite Patrie. And what do you think Mr. Singh's presence in the House will mean for caucus camaraderie in the upcoming year? Yeah, it's great to have uh, Jack Mead as a colleague now. He's a member of our caucus and he'll be able to ask a directly question to uh, the Prime Minister and his uh, broken promises. So uh, it's also an historic day, the first uh, racialized uh, leader in the House of Commons. So I'm, I'm pretty happy and I'm, I'm expecting him to, uh, to be great and do a good job. That's the show for this week. If you enjoyed this episode on Apple Podcasts, please leave us a five-star review there. <laughs> we, of course, love to hear what you have to say. You can reach me on Twitter or Facebook at Althea Raj. A-L-T-H-I-A-R-A-J is my handle. Follow-up is produced by myself, Ottawa reporter Zian Lum, and technical producer Stephanie Warner. Andre Lau is our executive producer. 
I'm Althea Raj. We are off for a few weeks, but we'll be back in mid-March when the Liberals table their election budget. See you then.